You're listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Beth Thompson is a director and actor who also serves as the artistic director of the Shelterville Theater. She holds a bachelor's degree in theater with a focus in acting and directing from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Directing credits include A Crossroads, Neighbors, Lovers, and All the Others, Revelation, The Singularity, The Other Sewing Circle, and Psycho Ex-Girlfriend for the Shelterbelt Theater. She kills monsters for the Omaha Community Playhouse and dozens of stage readings for the Great Plains Theater Conference, OCP's 21 and Over Reading Series, and Shelterbelts Before the Boards. Acting credits include John Colton Sumner in Men on Boats for the Omaha Community Playhouse, Nan Carter in Exit, Pursued by a Bear for OCP's 21 and Over Reading Series, Dale Prist in Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche for the Shelterbelt Theater, Mom and Ms. Spiegel in Dark Play or Stories for Boys at UNO, and Mrs. Hermanson in Eric Hermanson's Soul, Lone Tree Theater Project, which toured to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Beth has been nominated for both Theater Arts Guild Awards and Omaha Entertainment and Arts Awards. She is currently the sales coordinator for Ameristar Casino and Hotel. Beth Thompson, welcome to the Green Room. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Are you from Omaha originally? I am not. I was born in Auburn, Nebraska. and That's where I got my rescue dog. Is really? It is. Isn't it a lovely little town? It is very lovely. It is. I was a lot of ticks, though. Is there? (laughs) (laughs) They all came home on my dog, but that's that's beside the point. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Good to know. I haven't been there in a really long time. Uh, I was born in Auburn. My my father's a physician, and he was. uh, That's the first place he went to after his residency. And then we went and moved to Sargent, Nebraska, which is where my mother is from when I was about six or seven. And then we moved around a couple more times before I graduated high school around Nebraska. So I, my godparents lived here, so I spent a little bit of time in Omaha, but it wasn't until I moved back in 2008. And do you still have family in Nebraska? I do. My sister and her husband and their family are up in Atkinson, which is where I went to high school. And my uncle. I have an uncle in Lincoln. So when you were in grade school, where did you go to grade school? Sergeant Elementary School. Sergeant Elementary School yes. in Sargent. Did you participate in any of the plays or did they call them programs? Or <laughs> Right. I did. I did. I remember my first role, I suppose, was as a teacher in a little class play. And the only thing I remember about it is that I had to say cumulus clouds. And I had a really tough time saying cumulus so that was, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was my first memory of anything theater related like that. Did you do more when you went into high school then? Yes, I was involved in as much as we could. I went to, Ac- I went to West Holt High School in Atkinson, Nebraska. And <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Bassinius, but I am pretty convinced that our drama teacher just wrote this wild stuff. So <laughs> in my, <laughs> we didn't have any... We never we didn't do like Oklahoma right. or you know any Shakespeare. We didn't do anything that anyone's ever heard of. Sure. Um, <laughs> so we had a junior senior play. So you've been all about new works <laughs> from, from the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> if no one's ever heard of it, I'm your gal. There you go. Yeah. So we had, there was a junior senior play every year, and the, my junior year it was some like off-brand Adam's Family kind of thing, where I played the nosy neighbor. <laughs> and my costume, per the director's request, so do you remember the Drew Carey show? Yes. And Mimi? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what she wanted me to look like. So Did I just, you have like the blue eyeshadow oh, and yeah, everything? Oh, yeah, up yep. to my eyebrows. <laughs> and this wig and then this like moo-moo. But that's what, that was her vision for this like nosy neighbor. 
Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And we did some one acts okay. um, and took that to competition. And then I was in speech team all four years as well. Did you do like duet in speech or humorous interp or what? I did you do? humorous interp, serious interp, entertainment. I remember my serious interp that I went to state with. I adapted I, I adapted a scene from Beaches. Okay. <laughs> the scene where CC or the one who's dying, I can't remember. That's terrible. Barbara Hershey's it's character been forever. Yeah. Um, is asking Cece to to take her daughter. Okay. And so and so I did both characters. Yeah. In a very sort of like multiple personality sort of performance. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all did. I think we all did speech. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was like a kid. You know, it was like grade school, and uh, I don't think it was high school that I did. It had to have been grade school. And there was a there was a newscaster. That was a long story. There's a newscaster who worked for WOWT whose name was Aida Amora. That was <gasps> her name, Aida Amora. I like it. She was good. And uh, I entertainment was was my category or improv or something like that. And it had it had something to do with like a fish. It was like a remora, or it was like something like that. Okay. And and. Uh, for some reason, I like got the name wrong, and so like I said, I eat a remora. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, that's God. And that's and great. I, yeah, but it was like Aida, like the like the opera Aida oh, was her yes. name. But but they thought I was saying like I eat a remora. So like We're I got hungry. like I got like first place for like this for like this <laughs> improv thing because I like totally made fun of the WOWT gal's name. So that's amazing. Aida Amora, you know, thank you for I have a medal because <laughs> funny. Oh, that should be a highlight on her resume. What, right? <laughs> exactly. So you did nothing that anyone would have of any substance in high school. I guess I did do the summer community theater. We did okay. we did uh, South Pacific. Oh, okay. and I was a nurse. Okay, so I got to wash that man right out of my hair. You, you bet. <laughs> so you graduated in what year? Nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. You're so young. And then <laughs> I don't feel that young at all. But and then. You. And then did you go to UNL right away for theater? No, I, I actually went to Southeast Community College in Lincoln right out of high school. And I was there for, they're on a quarter system, so maybe like two quarters. And the original idea, well, the truth is, is that I couldn't go into the university because I didn't have my math from high school. I had a very, let's say generous geometry teacher in high school. <laughs> Who after the first semester was like, you're just, you're not going to pass the second semester. So you may need to think of something else to do. And so I <laughs> I went into applied math, which we lovingly called, you know, advanced calculus because it was learning how to balance your checkbook oh, and sure. that kind of stuff. Right. But uh-huh. we just wanted to feel better about ourselves. So we nicknamed it something else. So I didn't have the math credits to go into a university. Okay. So I went to Southeast under their transfer program, thinking I would transfer to UNL or someplace. I was thinking maybe journalism. I, I wrote a bit in high school. And 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 then I was like, I just, I'm, I don't know what I really want to do. And I feel like I'm wasting time and money. So I, you know, waited tables and bartended. And then I had a really good friend who said she was moving to California. And I said, can I go with you? She's like, sure, we're going to live with my sister. There's one bedroom. There's one bed if you want to hang out there with me until we figure it out. And so we packed up our cars and drove out to California. Where in California? First place I lived was in Grover Beach, which is part of the five cities. So around the San Luis Obispo area, it's right on the coast, about halfway in between L.A. and San Francisco, about three hours from each. So it was was great because it really was like a small town community. But you're in California and you're five minutes from the beach and two hours from the mountains. And it was it was a dream. And what did you do when you were out there? I started out doing receptionist work. I worked in a doctor's office and was a front office uh, receptionist. And then I went and worked for a surgeon for a while and, and also did that, but then scheduled his surgeries and talked about things with insurance companies so people would have an idea of how much it was going to cost. He was an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. So... A lot of his stuff was cosmetic as well. Did you get into 
doing that because uh, was that easier for you uh, because your dad was a physician? Is that why you kind of steered toward that? I think at that point I was, I really didn't want to wait tables. Mm -hmm. I had been doing that for a couple of years and it was, and it was great, but I just kind of wanted something different. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for a couple of years and then I realized I was 21, 22 at the time. I said, everybody... I am meeting is in their 40s and married with kids, and I I need to meet some people of my own Mm -hmm. age group. So Mm -hmm. then I went back to waiting tables and the good old Olive Garden. I'm an OG vet from way back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you were in California, did you did the thought of doing any theater cross your mind at that point? It did. There actually was a pretty, and of course I'm not going to know the name, but there is a is a a troupe in Santa Maria, California, that has been known for dinner theater. And so I had some friends that were involved in that, but I didn't, I didn't, I never, I never pursued that. Mm -hmm. But funnily enough, I, I actually went to cosmetology school because I thought that I would parlay that into like doing hair and makeup for the movies and television. That never happened, but... (laughs) (laughs) I think I think some type of performing was always deep rooted inside of me. Sure. So when I decided to come back to it, I came back to it sort of full throttle. How long were you in California? Seven years. Wow. Yeah. And then you decided to move back to here or did you go somewhere else between California and here? I came back here after my mother passed away. She passed in January 2007. My sister had uh, just gotten married and... I wanted to be closer to her, and then she had a baby not too soon after I moved back. So I moved back in April 2008 thinking I would go back to school. I'm going to be closer to my family. As And I came back, and I was working as a hairdresser out at, at Fantastic Sam's on 158th and, say 168th and Maple. And I actually, that's the first person I met in this community. I cut and, and highlighted Emily McCriskey's hair. Oh. And we had a great long conversation because she was starting grad school and I was starting there as an undergrad at UNO. And did you know at that time it was for theater? Yes, because I had put in my like FAFSA information and they made me declare a major at least to apply for student loans. And I thought, you know what, at that point I was 28 and I was like, if I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to take out loans and I'm going to pay for it for the rest of my life, I'm going to do something I really want to do. So I said, I, I checked the box of theater, and that's just, I just kind of never went away. So you met Emily McCrisky. Yeah. You cut, styled, highlighted her yes. hair. And got to talking about theater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. You know, there was a, there was a good period of my life where I was uh, doing hair and bartending. And so I feel like I have You met a lot therapist. of theater people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> if they're not at the salon, they're at the <laughs> they're bar. They're at the bar. Uh, so I felt, you know, you, you do, you feel like you come out of that situation with a the, with a therapist degree, right? Because sure. people spill their guts to those particular people. Um, so we were just chatting as you do, and we realized that we were both going to be going to school and what we were doing, and she was um, teaching already at that point. So we just had a lot to talk about. And then I remember, I remember when I started, I... My first week at school, they had auditions, and I didn't know anything about it because I was coming in as sort of an older student and hadn't done the whole orientation, I think, that freshmen do. And so she was telling me that about auditions, and I didn't have anything to audition for, but the teachers were like, just come to callbacks. And I went to callbacks for Women of Troy. Uh, Picasso with the Lupina Gilles and Women of Troy <laughs> were the two shows my first semester. Okay. <laughs> So I have to, I laugh because Picasso at the La Pina Gilles, I can't tell you how many times that show has come up when people have come over for the podcast. Really? I, yes, because I'm like, because that's the example of the thing that I cannot say. I, I never, <laughs> I always stop at like Picasso and I'll be like, so if if I'm reading your bio and I come upon something that I don't understand, that, that I can't pronounce like Picasso, and then everybody always follows it up with Ethel Lapina And I'm like, yes, <laughs> because you. I thank you, because <laughs> I could never say that. Now, if I had not brought that up to both Kimberly Faith Hickman <laughs> and Taylor Lee Jackson earlier today, I would not be able to <laughs> regurgitate that back to you. That's amazing. And actually they both say talked it. about that show, too? <laughs> no, because I brought it up and said, this oh. is something that I can't, so. <laughs> but Emily McCriskey actually talked about Picasso at the Lapina <laughs> It's like it's subtext. It is. 
when I interviewed her for the podcast. So, oh, that's, but anyway, yeah. so yeah, so yeah, because okay. she ended up being in that show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She said it was one of her. It was great. Favorite show. It was really funny. It was really well done. Yeah. So I remember walking into callbacks, and I couldn't make them for Picasso at the Lapina Gil, <laughs> but I could go to the Women of Troy one. And I don't know if you saw that show. It was it was it was a brilliantly beautiful show. I've seen pictures oh, of it. It was so cool. It was a really really cool show. But of course, I walk into callbacks, and it was like a dance studio. Sure. So everyone's like stretching and doing these dances, and they're like these leotards. And I was like, "What am I, this is? What am I doing here?" And I, and Emily saw me, and she turned around, and she was like, "Come on, come join our group." And it was just nice to see her face and just have like a familiar face to walk into, because I knew nobody. We hadn't started classes yet, and so I'll never forget that. I'll never forget how warm she was, and just made me feel good in that audition of which I had no business being at but <laughs> but it was fun it was fun so you received your bachelor's degree mm-hmm. yes. uh, in theater yes. with emphasis in directing and acting yes both did it have to be both or did you decide to do both I think it was a very new sort of focus while I was there sure. if I remember correctly I think it just was both I think okay. you could either do acting and directing or technical oh sure and and I I feel like it was new-ish or at least while I was there, but I already had the focus sort of on, they started having people audition because I didn't audition mm-hmm. for that. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, what are you going to focus on? And I guess because I was a major and I don't know if it depended on what classes you were taking, but right, yeah, so I think it was either or at the sure. time. But I definitely got bit by the directing bug while I was in school. Yeah. How many shows did you direct and how many shows did you perform in when you were at UNO? I performed in two on the main stage. I did um, a show called Hippie Doctor, which again was a new work by Benjamin Graber. Mm-hmm. He was a grad student at the time. And so I, I was in Hippie Doctor. And then I was in Dark Play or, or School for Boys and, and tons of like student stuff in 006. Actually, Emily, bringing Emily back into the fold. I was in her graduate project. Which was super cool. It was a um, it was a adaptation of the original Little Mermaid, the Hans Christian Andersen tale, but we didn't. There were no words. There were no spoken words. So it was all through movement and music. And oh gosh, it, to this day, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. We talked about that for a little bit, or like she's like she likes to call it movement for Mo <laughs> Christie. Yeah. Sometimes it can be very theatrical pieces can be very very powerful if they don't have. Spoken word. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you remember which plays you directed? The first thing I ever directed, I was I was a co-teaching assistant for Amy Lane's Directing One class. And she was, Amy Schweid and I were her teaching assistants because both of us had been in the Directing One class and got bit. And then there really wasn't anything but Directing One and Directing Two at UNO. And Directing Two wasn't offered for another couple semesters. So we approached Amy Lane and said, can we be your little assistants. We just want to like continue learning. So our sort of final project for that class was Language of Angels by Naomi Yuzuka. And we each, it's three acts, and we took one of the acts each and did it. And they were about half an hour each and, and did them in 006. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I just, the first thing I ever, ever directed was a scene for, uh, from Fool for Love in Scott Glasser's directing one class. And I had a cat I had I cast two actors of color and God, we just had a blast. It was, you know, that's really kind of dark, deep material to mm-hmm. ask these like eighteen year olds to go on. But but we did. So you graduated from Yono in what year? Two thousand twelve. And did you start with OCP's 21 and over series right after that? Or what did you do? While I was still in school. So, you did yeah. You so I was, I was interning for Amy in the 21 and over program pretty soon after that class that we were, that I was her, one of her TAs. Emily Mariski, Emily's gets a good cameo in this, in this interview. <laughs> we love you, Emily. And her new little baby. I know. Eddie Mo. He's so cute. I think Emily had started out as as her assistant or her intern for like I think their first show they did. Oh, I don't remember. 
Emily had started out, and then I don't re- I don't remember why, but she needed to to step down from that. So Amy was looking for somebody new, and she opened it up to actually her entire directing class at that point, and I I got it. So I think that must have been oh I probably started doing that with her beginning of my junior year, which would have been like 2010 ish. So. How many shows did you direct for the 21 and over series? I assisted all of them that I was with from the time. And then I worked up to co, but I directed two solo. Um, Bright New Boise. Right. Bright New Boise, which is where we met. Mm -hmm. And Tigers Be Still. And then were you performing in any plays during this same time period? Yeah. A dark play, which Amy directed Mm -hmm. as well. And I but was nothing out, done, the, nothing out in the community. I had done nightshade tapes with Witching Hour. I didn't see it, but I remember the name of it. <laughs> that was a that was a wild show, mm-hmm. puppets and awesomeness. So I did that. I was doing some great plain stuff. I'm trying to think if Lucy. I don't think I was still in school for that. Yeah. So a couple of little things. Okay. A couple of little things. So then, after you graduated from UNO. Did you have any desire to go anywhere else or did you, you just knew you were just going to stay in Omaha and do theater? Well, I did, but Shelter Belt happened. Okay. Before, like really quickly after I graduated. Okay. I was sort of already in that conversation and, well, because <laughs> the truth is, is that I, I was done with my classes for UNO in the summer or after, um, time's confusing time's hard I was done with classes at the end of like spring summer of 2012 but I I think I was busy I think I was doing stuff with 21 and over I was gearing up to direct Psycho Ex-Girlfriend there there was I I was busy and And, and that was and that was at the shelter belt that was at the shelter belt so you had put your name into the ring you you were not on shelter belt's board at that point no so you just you saw that they were looking for directors and you put your name in or Bo had I believe Bo had asked for me I think because you guys had done done stuff we had done stuff and we had done a reading we had done a reading of Psycho Ex-Girlfriend oh sure at the at the shelter belt that I directed and she asked me to be a part of that and direct that and then I believe when it went on their season and Ellen was the interim artistic director at that time I'm assuming because then I was asked to direct the full production right through that conversation Ellen Ellen was sort of courting me I mean she was you know for a while had been asking what is your what is your what is it you want to do and I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to do grad school because I was already going to have all these student loans to pay off. And unless I was able to get into a grad school that was going to practically pay me to be there, right? which are far and few between and super competitive. And when, and at that point, I had a couple readings under my belt, nothing, nothing that a, a board bringing somebody on is going to say, yes, this person needs to be in our program. So I knew the grad school wasn't something I was looking into. So Ellen started sort of talking to me and having conversations and then... Craig got brought in uh, to those conversations. So while I was, so I joined the board first, just to sort of like see what this is. After I graduate in December 2012, I would say probably like early winter, spring of 2013, I joined the board. I'm We're in rehearsals for Psycho. And a couple of months later, they voted me on as artistic director. So if that hadn't have happened, I don't know where... You know, sure. where I would have gone after right. school because right. I was sort of the one of my of my group of friends that came out and graduated at the same time. And they all spread out and went all over the place to grad school and just moved Chicago and mm-hmm. all over the place. I was I stayed because the Shelter Belt gig right. came about. Right. What was it about the Shelter Belt that or and still, I guess, draws you to it? New works are. Not easy sells, Mm -hmm. as you know. Mm -hmm. So for a young director (laughs) trying to cut their teeth in in getting experience and then having it be new works on top of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm insane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wouldn't necessarily be the path that everybody would take. So I'm curious as to your thought process 
it's not a bad it's right. obviously it's not a, a bad road to take you know and it but and why it, <laughs> why would you do this why would you but do it's this? but i mean i'm curious as to the the thought process as to why you would go that route as opposed to something more established well i think truthfully the opportunity to do it i mm-hmm. mean I don't know many people who and, – and and granted, it's not a, my full-time paid job. Sure. So that would be a totally different ballgame. Sure. But certainly having somebody like Ellen Struve, you know, courting you and, – and granted, I you know, I – Ellen was aware of my internship under Amy. Yes. And that I was working with – new work for Omaha through this program. Sure. So And you'd done a bunch of stuff at Great Plains. And I had so. done a bunch of stuff at Great Plains. Yep. And so I think that there was probably a conversation, you know, existing as to how my name even sort of got into Ellen's brain. Sure. But, you know, I just, I really believed in the mission. I believed mm-hmm. in this idea of giving local artists a place to be heard. And and I do. And I love new work because I really, truthfully, I really just love the idea of there's no rules. There's no, there's nothing we're held down by. We're not held to these ideas and pictures that exist in people's minds of what something that's super established is supposed to be. It feels a lot more free. That may sound crazy to some people who are like, oh my gosh, new work is so scary. It is, but for me, it's the best kind of scary because I feel like there's no boundaries. There's no right, and well, and that's the always. And I brought this up before with other people. That's the thing that always appealed to me, mm-hmm. and I, I'm surprised that it doesn't appeal to more performers. For example, not necessarily a tech side, but performers in particular. Yeah, that here's the opportunity to build a character from the ground yes. up, like. No one else has done this. Yeah. Like, you are the first person. And I understand that I suppose there's like a little bit of an intimidation factor. But I would think that it would be the opposite. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I am, no one else has developed this character ever. Right. I mean, even if, you know, like a play that Noah Diaz does, or Ellen Struve, or anybody that does, there. if you're the first one that does it, and then all of a sudden it ends up off-Broadway right. or... On Broadway or, or whatever, yes, your your name might not end up being in the final right. project because they'll go by a regional theater, you know. Right. But you can still sit there and hang your hat on, yeah, but I've got a program yeah. that has my name in it. So I was the very, very first right. one. And, and you can't take are. that away from me. Exactly. Well, and chances are that you also were instrumental in developing that character. Correct. You know, and... Because I've every single playwright I've worked with and every single playwright that I've been able to have in the room and we've been working on things and developing things, those actors 1,000% inform where those characters are going, mm-hmm. what what their tone is, what sort of their, their subtext is, what this backstory is. I always make my cast do biographies on their characters because a there's no material to go research there's nothing to youtube there's not there's no thesis paper to look up on on what this means so they have to create their own backstory and a lot of times and that's just an exercise i do for them because it's important to me that they know the answer to these questions so they can fully realize this as a person and a lot of times the playwrights get a lot of information from that you know about you know sort of what have I put on paper that these people have picked up on and sort of run with? And what is working and what is not? And what is this like, yes, that's what I was thinking. And what is no, that's in the wrong direction. We need to sort of rethink that as a team. So yeah, so if something goes on somewhere else, you sitting in Omaha, you know, with, you know, your volunteer acting as a whether it's a hobby or your, it's your passion but it's not what you're getting paid for but you can take some serious pride that that character wouldn't exist without your input so i'm with you i don't understand i i, I assume that it's it's fear of some sort that mm-hmm. people don't you know they're like i i don't know right i don't know but right. i've always been a person who believes that when new ideas are presented there's people who either fear it or they're super curious about it and you know how do we how do we get the fearful ones to be more curious yeah good point good point so you sign on as artistic director for the shelter belt 
in your role as artistic director, what what is the role of an artistic director for a theater? Or in this case, specifically, Shelterbelt, what is your role as artistic director? I see my role as, as being someone who is instrumental in helping to pick out the artistic material that's presented. We do have a reading committee. Um, which consists of a few board members and then some community members. And then, you know, our board and me have kind of final say. Uh, but it's it's picking out the scripts that we that we want to present. It's hiring the guest artists, whether that's the director or outside technical teams. It's directing a few of the shows myself, but then also, like I said, hiring out. So once Roxanne came on board, you know, we each were going to do at least one show a year and then hire out the other one. So it's hiring that and trying to, and it's different with the shelter belt because though I really do want the playwright to have a say in who their director is, mostly because our community is small enough that we usually all know each other. And it's important to me that the playwright feels that they're part of that decision because it's their baby. It's their baby that they're sort of handing over to this director that's handing it over to the actors, that's handing it over to the audience. So if that process can be as smooth as possible and it starts with people that they trust or they admire their work and they really want to work with them. So I take that into heavy consideration when coming up with the pairing because really if the pairing between playwright and director isn't good, the the final the process isn't going to be good. The final product isn't going to be great. And all of that mattered to me when I came on. I had not seen a ton of stuff at Shelter Belt before I came on, but I had seen, I remember a show called, I think it was called Acrobat that Eric Salonis directed mm-hmm. that was just gorgeous. Was it Aaron, who I can't remember who the playwright was, but. Yeah, I don't remember. Right. And I had, so I'd seen some really great stuff. I'd seen some of their vignette shows. And for me, I just. I wanted, first of all, I wanted to expand the season to four full lengths. So I I did the much controversial cutting of Shelter Skelter and Shelter Belt with Love. And I'll be honest, while those shows give a lot of opportunity for writers and they give a lot of opportunity for new actors and directors and it gives a lot of opportunity at the time, I'll admit, you know, coming out of college and doing a lot of these shows in a 006 sort of setting it felt like that to me. It felt sort of, they, they felt kind of thrown together. And I just sort of wanted to up what we could do. I knew what people were writing. I, I had talked to several playwrights who said, oh yeah, I'm much more excited about getting a full length done than a vignette show. I mean, that's just, that's kind of their bread and butter of what they're sort of working on. So making that decision to go to four full lengths instead you know, rifled some feathers, but other people were really excited about it. And mostly the playwrights were excited about it. And for me, I am always going to be interested in what the playwrights want. When you choose a show for your season, is it always a show that you've workshopped before? Or what's the page to stage process for you guys? Kind of a little bit of both, especially in the beginning. It was just what's coming across my desk. What is, uh, what is somebody suggesting? Like Ellen, when I became artistic director, she sort of transferred down to, she was still a board member and we kind of call it a literary manager for a minute. But so she was really instrumental in like helping that. So I think that first season, it, you know, it was a conversation between the two of us and sort of some of the other board members like, you know, so-and-so has a piece and we should really be looking at this or some stuff from Great Plains was always a great resource for us. And that relationship hadn't been completely set up at that point. So we made a concentrated effort to really be in touch with Kevin and Scott and say, you know, and, and, and being present at the conference and seeing as much as we could, because we're like, why can't we consider things that go to the conference local? These people spend a week in Omaha. Many of them come back. They always have such positive things to say about their experience here. So it was a combination of that. Once we developed the reading series before the boards, which 
quite frankly, I mean, I have no shame in saying we completely copied sort of a 21 and over. I mean, I'd come from that reading world that was so successful and, and I said, why can't we do this for local playwrights? These guys really need the feedback and really need to see what their plays sound like in front of an audience and with actors and a director and a little bit of collaboration that goes into just even putting up a reading. And so, and it, and it, and it was twofold. It was, how can this help the playwrights? How does this also help Shelter Belt? Because then we could put up a reading and we could gauge sort of where it was in its process, how the community felt about that play. Is this something you would want to see fully done? So before the boards became an avenue for plays to get a full production, or do they go into, you know, does this need a little bit more work? Is the playwright ready for this to happen? So, and then, you know, just sort of, I mean, I get submissions from all over the country. We do kind of have the restrictions on the website of that we're looking for more local because it is important to us to keep things as local as possible. But that's another thing. When I came on, I think the season I came on, looking at like the past two seasons, they didn't have a single local script on their seasons. Whether it was even even the first year that I did when I was still a board member before I officially became artistic director. We were on the reading committee looking for things for Shelter Belt with Love, and there were no local playwrights in that mix. And so from the very first day, I mean, even, you know, maybe my campaign slogan to the board was something of like, we need to get back to local. Like, this is our mission, and this is what we're supposed to be doing. Then we need to get back to what this is supposed to be, because I knew that there were wonderful playwrights in town who were writing really interesting stuff. But again, I think maybe they were like, well, we're done writing like 10 minute stuff for festivals. Like I've got some full length stuff, but I, you know, so and I have no idea what that relationship was like before I came on. But I know that that was important to me to like, let's get back. And I think my second season may have been the first season in a really long time that had was 100% local playwrights. So I was super proud of that. Five lesbians eating a quiche. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a locally written script? No, that actually comes out of the New Colony in Chicago. Colt Neidhart uh, is a good friend of mine. He actually works at a, at a theater outside of Denver right now. We were in UNO together. And it actually started out as his senior project. And he had met, I can't remember if it was Evan Linder there's two writers on that that come out of the new colony, but he had met one of them when he was working for, I believe, Utah Shakespeare, and remembered this script, and so got a hold of him and said, "Hey, I'd like to do this for like a student for like my final grad project." And then somehow, because this was before I was linked with Shelter Belt, he and Ellen, I believe, had gotten together, and Ellen was like, "Well, why don't you come and do like a late night slot at the Shelter Belt?" And, you know, we can tag that on to the performances you're doing for your student project. And it it went really, really well that Shelter Belt decided to sponsor us going to the Kansas City Fringe the next summer. So we had a little bit, we had, I think, one cast member who couldn't join us. So that was recast. But that show remains one of my favorite, favorite shows I've ever done. Which do you prefer doing, directing or acting? I get this question asked of me. I bet. And it's, and, and it's changed over the years. I bet. Yeah. And it may change for you again. I, yeah, I think it, 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 it used to be, for me, it used to be either or, as long as I'm doing something. Right. But have to admit that after directing for so long, getting to be back on the other side of it has been enjoyable. I agree. I agree. The last thing that I acted in voluntarily... And I say that because I just had to step in, I had to step into a small role in Abby in the Summer. I think it was Lucy, which was a witching hour show that I did. And this would have been probably 2013, like right around the time that I became artistic director. So it was really the last thing. And I hadn't really had time. I'd done some readings. I'd, I usually do like one Great Plains where I act in it as well as direct. Bofield Berry had a reading of her play Happy Hour that I was in. That was a lot of fun. But yeah, I just hadn't really been doing a whole lot of acting. So Men on Boats was, you know, it was (laughs) – 
it was a joy. And I think truthfully, the first thing that I remember saying to somebody when they're like, how was it like being back into acting? And I said, you know, it's really kind of a relief. (laughs) It's nice to just know that I'm responsible for this one character. Right. And I... Yeah, and 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 acting is not easy, and it's not. No, it's a totally, totally different thing, and you're taking on a totally different role. And certainly, I'm used to being able to walk away on opening night, and so having an entire run to do. But honestly, like not knowing that I am not responsible for the entire shebang of this show <laughs> was quite lovely. To just be like, I'm just gonna do my part, and I'm gonna do what I can, and I'm gonna have a ton of fun with these ladies. Do you find that having directed so much now that when you go back to doing a performance that it helps you understand the director's point of view a little bit better? Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. I also find that I don't take things as personally Mm-hmm. as I used to. Mm-hmm. When I was just acting before I started really directing, you know, I mean, everything, you, you're you insecure. And every little thing, even, yeah, I just don't take things as personally. I'm like, this is a conversation. This is, you know, they cast me for a reason. Mm-hmm. They obviously believe that I have what it takes to do this. We're just going to have to like navigate what that road is together. So I would say that's like the biggest thing for me is that I don't, I think you still are always going to sweat some stuff Mm -hmm. and you're always going to have moments where it's like, I don't know why I'm not getting this, but I'm just, I I need to do something. But I no longer cry in my car after rehearsal and think, oh my God, I'm the worst person that ever existed (laughs) at this. (laughs) And I have to say the biggest thing for me was auditioning. I auditioned for Eminent Domain and it came down to me and the actress who ended up playing the role who was fabulous and, and deserved it. But I remember that whole process you know, not being upset and understanding, oh, you know, it just wasn't, I just wasn't right for that role. And it doesn't right. mean that that director thinks I suck or that I'm never going to get cast or even that that director isn't going to cast me. Right. It just, you know, I understand that perspective now that it's just, you know, because I've, I had an actress who auditioned for me three times before I finally cast her. And every time I would be like, she is lovely and I love her. I just don't see her in this. Right. So when she came back that third or fourth time and she was perfect for it, it was like, there you go. So it's made me take things a lot less personally as an mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your directing style? I don't know. I, kn- I feel like I lead with my heart. For me, it's all about the story and the connections made between the characters. And that has to be there for me. I think, I think you have to find a way to connect it to the audience. And as the director, I see myself as the very first audience member. So for me, it's all about those connections between, so I, I, that's why I make my characters do biography work. I, we spend a lot of time on character work. We spend a lot of time on scene work because it's important to me that they are believable on stage as whoever it is that they're trying to be. And the sooner they can be off book and the sooner that we can really dig into the meat of what this means, to me, the more compelling it is to watch because we have to remember that an audience is seeing this for the first time. They're collecting this information for the first time. So it has to be clear. Our intentions, our motivations, they have to make sense. Even if it's a wacky situation, even if it's, you know, something completely out of the ordinary, we have to figure out what our characters, why it makes sense to them in their wacky mind. How do you approach directing a show like She Kills Monsters? <laughs> um, how do you... With a lot of vodka. Yeah. <coughs> a lot of vodka. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How do you dissect a script like that? And how do you approach that with your actors? Well, for me, the first in was the relationships between the sisters and, and, and loss and grief, having lost my mother and experiencing the relationship between my sister and I changing over the the years that she's been gone. So I I latched onto that first. But technically, obviously the important thing was to figure out the fights. And it's I it's the most fight choreography, it's the most choreography I've ever done in anything. And so when I was talking to Kimberly about like who do you want 
for your fight choreographer, you know, and she had some suggestions of some wonderful people, some of who couldn't do it. And I, I knew I wanted a woman because I also saw them. I, I listen to music a lot when I'm doing my, my script analysis and I was sitting I worked at the Omaha World Herald at the time and I was on my lunch break and I'm sitting in this cafeteria and I had my earbuds in and especially when I'm doing script analysis, I'll do a lot of classical or something that's just instrumental. So there's not, I have some ADHD, so I can't listen to lyrics. more white noise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was reading through the part of the large, we called it the montage. It's when all the monsters and all the characters are sort of fighting each other and there's just different blips that come up of them on stage and I was listening to this classical piece and all of a sudden it went like super slow and in my head I was like I just want a slow motion moment in this particular fight and I almost saw them more as dances I saw them much more fluid and and I still wanted them to be real but I just saw this fluidity in them that I knew I wanted a woman and I wanted someone who had who had some fight experience, but also had dance experience. And for me, that just naturally led me to Amy Schweid. We went to college together. We've been friends for 10 years. We had just done her show, A Crossroads, at the Shelter Belt. So we just had sort of developed this really wonderful collaborative energy, and we trust each other. And so I asked her, and she and she was smart. She was took her time. She's like, I don't know. I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I have the capability. She assisted Vince uh, Carlson and Terry Doman a few times with Shakespeare, and she had done some stuff and some little stuff here and there. But she's like, I don't know that I – can do this. And I was like, hell, I don't know that I can do this, but I've been given the opportunity and you're the only person I see being able to do this with. And so we just held hands and jumped head first into the deep end. And I was so, so amazed with what she did with the fights in that show. So we had to approach that first, you know, and even on auditions, it's like, we're looking for people who can move. We're looking for dancers. We're looking for you know, kind of people who can move and can act and who really are excited. And, and, and we didn't do an intermission, so we, we just trailblazed right through it. So we were looking for people with a lot of energy. And, and I actually asked for two more weeks to start two weeks early than, than they were normally would because I was like, we just got to get these fights. We have to start from here. We have to start here and build the scene work around them. So, so that was probably a unique situation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever directed a musical? No, not like a dance musical. I guess a crossroads would be the closest thing. But it was mostly, you know, songwriters jamming in this haunted bar. So no, I have not directed like a full on musical. I would love to. I would love to because I think there's such beautiful stories that are told. And for me, it all comes down to story. Mm -hmm. And I think if you've got, you know, a killer choreographer because I'm not a choreographer and I'm not a music director. But if you find those people who are super wonderful at that and that's their thing, then I could direct the hell out of the rest of you, you know? I would like to. Let's take a moment to talk about Shelter Belt's fall fundraiser. That you know about because you're going to be awesomely. So we have been approached by some people who do the scheduling at the Max about holding a fundraiser there. And we are taking our sort of monologue auction idea that has been pretty successful in the past and sort of altering that to appease both our audience and the Max's audience. So I came up with this idea of asking, I think I've got nine playwrights right now, which Dana is one of them, yay, to write something in, in collaboration with a drag queen to be performed at the max. And so I've got my playwrights lined up who are awesome and said yes. And so this week, actually, I think on Tuesday, I am having a drink with someone who runs sort of the drag shows at the flicks and hopefully going to line up some performers. And then I'm going to want to pair up each writer with a performer. And then I'm really open to whatever that piece wants to be. If it's a monologue, if it's, I don't know what, you know, there's some people who are in the pool of writers who have written some musicals. So if they want to do a song, can I don't you know. name the other writers yeah. involved? Yeah. So you, Joe Bosky, Ellen Struve, 
Noah Diaz, Laura Campbell, is Bo Marie. Bo, I, I've asked Bo. Uh, she's super busy. I don't know if you just saw the announcement yes, today. Uh, the Blue Barn. Yes, yeah. she's going to have a show at the Blue Barn. So yep. I have asked Bo, but she is not committed. If, if, if I get her, I'll have 10. Marie, AP Andrews, who wrote Abby in the Summer that I did a few years ago. Who else? Eric Salonis and Colleen O'Doherty. So, uh, yeah, and then Bo would be at the 10th if she is able to do it. But I know she's going to be busy with that Blue Barn show, and she's just busy in general. So. Right, and so this uh, so this is going on when? When is the fundraiser? And it's a fundraiser for Shelterbook, correct? Correct. The date, which I haven't told you yet, <laughs> the date has actually been... <laughs> <laughs> right inquiring minds inquiring minds want to know the date's been pushed back to november at some point shutterbelt will get back into a space let's hope yes let's hope and snap too and like, snap yeah. too yes so until that point obviously shutterbelt although they don't have a home is not doa they're not mm-hmm. they're not dead in the water anywhere right. so you're looking to Maybe do some before the boards or anything like that in other places? Yes. I'm assuming you're keeping in touch with local writers and still receiving and workshopping things, even if it's not public stuff? Right. Thankfully, I have a really good relationship with a lot of the writers in town, and so some of them will just send me stuff and just want some feedback, you know. We are going to be doing some before the boards, Rox and Dan and I had a meeting with Scott Working, and we're going to be pairing up with Metro Community College and more specifically his classes there to host before the board's reading one a quarter. And it'll be paired up. It'll be we'll probably perform in the culinary building like we do for Great Plains. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we'll be able to get a lot more people in there Mm -hmm. and and it will. It'll pair up with the classes like his first one is a script analysis class. And I thought that could be really helpful for Mm -hmm. a playwright to have a class that's their assignment is to sort of, you know, and then they can, you know, take what they want from that feedback. Right. So my next step is is approaching our our playwright community as well and see what people are working on and if they've got something that they think they would like to, to to have in a before the board's reading over cool. this next year. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Scott, as many of you may know, is one of the founders of Shelter Belt. So I th- so I think we've been sort of in each in each other's minds for a long time. And mm-hmm. when we finally met for a beer, it was like we have been meaning to do this forever, but you know, life happens and right. and he's always so busy with the conference. So yep. I think once a little break between the conference and he flew off to Italy today. Yeah. Um no, I saw Yeah, that. right. Yeah, that's going to be a rough summer for him. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Welcome back, Scott. It's November. (laughs) Now you're back in the cold. Exactly. Hope you had fun. Yeah. And we continue to search for a home. Yes. Yes, the search continues. And as you know, it just, it really boils down to money. And it's that catch-22 of, we can look at this space, but we don't have the money for it. But if we knew that we could fund the money, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's all... No fun. But we have, you know, as always, it seems like we always have a couple things we're looking at that we're crossing our fingers is going to happen. So yep. we'll just continue to collect the the good vibes of the community because, and I'm sure you hear this a lot too about SNAP, you know, I, I just all the time people are like, we feel the loss of these companies. Like actors, I was having dinner with some actor friends the other night and we were talking about like upcoming auditions and what are they excited about and... And they're excited about a lot of the stuff that's happening, but there's also some of them who don't do musicals. And like so many people are doing musicals. Right. We miss, we miss, we're feeling the the lack of Snap and Shelter Belt and the, the shows that they produce because they're very different from what a lot of other people are doing. Right. And they're, you know, we always knew or even going to see those shows. Right. So we're feeling our absence in the community. So we're just continuing to take, you know, good vibes from the community that it'll all work out and and we'll be back in a home and producing soon beth what's your favorite color purple deep purple (laughs) (laughs) sometimes yeah like probably closer to lavender okay but i'm not i had a i had an egg pramp plant egg plant prom dress in high school so you know there you go. the spectrum is wide yeah <laughs> <laughs> the purple if you could go back in time and meet any historical figure who would you like to meet 
Oh, man. Oh, man. Catherine Hepburn. I think she lived such a fascinating life, even outside of her work. She just always seems so strong and poised and focused and determined. And I, I, I imagine her as someone who didn't take any shit from anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of music do you like to listen to? You said you like listening to classical music when yeah. uh, when, <laughs> when you're I... when you're working on directing stuff, but mm-hmm. when you're just tooling around in your car, what do you like listening to? Seventies rock is probably. I mean, I'm the biggest Fleetwood Mac <laughs> fan. I love Fleetwood Mac, but that sort of vibe. Yeah, I'm really the rock. I love like eighties pop music too. Yes. Um, <laughs> A lot of Prince. I recently watched Bohemian Rhapsody, so I've been listening to a lot of Queen. It kind of comes and goes with like whatever else is mm-hmm. sort of happening. Like if I'm watching, like I finished up Stranger Things yesterday, so now I'm like, oh, I need some '80s pop in my life. There you go. Um, it's really eclectic. It's really kind of all over the place. I mean, I do like some country. I do like rap. I do like hip hop. I, I think I was listening to Beyonce's Lemonade on the way over here. It's kind of all over the place, but I would say I'm really sort of rooted. In the rock. Have you ever tried writing a play? No, but I want to. I have ideas. And I'm so in awe of writers, especially playwrights. I just think I just think it's the coolest thing to sit down and, and write this story and dialogue. I think dialogue is so hard. And when you've read a lot of really terrible place because <laughs> I have not usually from local people but I get stuff from all over the world and sometimes right. I'm curious I think dialogue is super tricky because I think everybody wants it to sound realistic and wants it to sound natural but I read so many plays where it's like this you know oh that's cute um, <laughs> so I'm super intimidated by it which I think also is why I'm so in love with new work is because I am just really in awe of playwrights and their ability to do this. And so if I can be part of the process of getting it out into the world, then that's super fulfilling for me. What story hasn't been told on the Shelter Belt stage that you would love to see told? Listen up, playwrights. I would love to see a really honest depiction of, of a trans story. I would love to see... I would love to see a story of a woman embracing her power and embracing her success where there's zero trauma in her history and there's zero, you know, there's zero violence for her to overcome to get to that place. I'm super interested right now in just sort of the weird, which is very, which is vague and big, but maybe that's okay. But I look at I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Noah Diaz's writing. He writes things like we're. He writes things that are just really kind of out there, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are, you know, scared of that or intimidated by it. Or like, how do we do this? And I always think back to the feast when he and I were fighting so hard to get the feast on Shelter Belt's season. And it really, it was like I knew that he, I wanted him to direct it because he and I were like feast fanatics and everyone else was like I don't know this is this is out there and I said no you need to come up with like your storyboard like what like visually like some visual metaphors some like a precise as precise as you can know at this moment outline of sort of like where you see this story going I'm just I'm just interested in sort of that kind of stuff that's outside of the box I'm also really interested in devised work work that sort of is coming up through the collaboration and I don't know I just I'm interested in whatever it is that the writer needs and wants to say and is trying to do in the most authentic way possible and using the most authentic players as possible as well and allowing voices that have not been seen much on stage to be on stage What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> she says with emphasis. It is my favorite. I've thought about this a lot. Because because I love Actor Studio. And I always think about if I were on there and what those questions, you know, what I would answer. Right. That's what this is based on. Yay. See? Genius. Yeah. 
fuck is so versatile. <laughs> and it has so many, you know, you can put an ing on there. Like you can just, you and it, like you can just make it, it's so versatile and it can be a verb. It can be an adjective. Like it's just, I love it. I love it. It's my, it might be my favorite word, not even just curse word. <laughs> A little, a little deep into my mind there. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyoufivepod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, the stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. 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 That's the other talking.